Stephen, I want to thank Pastor and the congregation for inviting us to come here to share our passion about the mission of Tupelo Children's Mansion, our favorite charity. We now have 79 children at the mansion with three more on the way. We recently had five little homeless siblings come, ages one, two, three, four, and five. And about two weeks ago, we had another homeless sibling group come, ages four months, two and three. Two boys arrived Wednesday that we got to meet in church whose parents are in prison for murdering their little sister. How can we say no to these desperate needs that arise for placement, even though we really are full? That seems to be what we're doing lately. But I want you to know that not all of our children are homeless or mistreated. Some of them come from very good families, like you sitting out here. But they've decided to get in trouble, and the parents just need a little help with them for a period of time for them to kind of get their direction back. Many of our children's life experiences do not match their age. They have seen more, experienced more than many of us will in a lifetime. I thought I had a bad childhood growing up as a child, having been abused and neglected by a mother that was hooked on drugs, and I was orphaned when I was 13 years old. But my childhood was apparently and actually pretty easy compared to some of the kids that we get today at the mansion. And I want to tell you a story about Tanya. Some of you that were at the ladies' conference heard me tell this story, but my husband wants me to tell it to this congregation today. Tanya, whose story I want to share with you, Tanya is not her real name, and she is not pictured in the slides. It is sometimes easy, easy to forget that Tanya just turned 14 years old because most of the time she acts like an adult. Before coming to the mansion, the safest place that Tanya had ever been was inside her mother's womb. Before coming to the mansion, Tanya had never been in a truly safe home. Before coming to the mansion, Tanya had never been truly safe. Her earliest experiences are not of feeling safe or feeling loved. No, her earliest experiences are of shock. Because as a toddler, she was taken from her home, from all that she knew, and began a journey of bouncing from place to place in the foster system. At age 11, Tanya was adopted, but her dreams of love and family were shattered by the physical abuse her adoptive family showered on her. Hands that should have helped her hurt her. To escape the abuse, she began to run away, only to be returned time and again to the very ones that hurt her. Last year, after another attempt to flee the abuse driven by hunger and cold to a gas station, she decided she was going to steal something to eat. But at the gas station, it seemed too good to be true. There was an adult there that said he wanted to help her. But her hopes turned to horror when she was taken into the small house outside of town, crammed with over 20 illegal immigrants, with no electricity, no phone, no way to call for help. She was drugged and held hostage for over two weeks, being repeatedly raped by the men who lived there. One night, she did manage to escape and made her way into town. She was picked up by the police, and she actually came to the mansion directly from the police station. At last, Tanya was safe. But when you have never been safe, you don't even know how to recognize it. It took months for her body to work the effects of the forced drugs out of her system. And it's going to take longer for her mind to work out the abuse 
that she suffered from those men and for her heart to work out the pain that she suffered in foster care. But I want to tell you today that that healing has begun. Tanya has been filled with the Holy Ghost. And she is a voice of encouragement to the other girls there. The hope that she has found, she shares with them. The child that no one helped now helps others with their homework and with their chores. And when they fail, she's the one that offers support and love. This is just one story of the 79 children that we have at the mansion. This is what we do. And we are only able to do this because of people like you and the help and support that you give to the mansion. Without you, we would not be able to take in these children and make a difference in their life. We have many children in our care, and I think there's a slide that shows some of the children. And most of you should have gotten a brochure when you came in. And there in the middle are children that are most in need of sponsors at this time. During this service, if you could prayerfully consider becoming a Mansion Kid sponsor, perhaps you want to take one of these children listed as a Mansion Kid sponsor. Or perhaps you just want to sponsor all the children and become a general sponsor. Or you could sponsor a Haven of Hope Girls Home that my husband started about 12 years ago for troubled teenage girls. For as little as $15 a month, you can make a difference in the life of a child. You can forever change a life like Tanya or one of these little siblings that we just received. When you partner with us, you help provide them with a home and food and clothing. But not only that, you give them a loving Savior that loves them more than we do. If you would like to sign up to be a sponsor, go ahead and fill it out during the service if you want and bring it back to our table just right in the foyer. And our thank you to you, we have a gift for you that we would like to give you from the children as a thank you. You can pick a t-shirt, you can pick a pack of note cards, you can pick up a CD, any of those would be your gift as a thank you. And we want to say thank you for this opportunity to talk about the Tupelo Children's Mansion and these children that so desperately need you. Thank you, baby. Well, wow, it was pretty powerful, wasn't it? I, I've heard that story several times, and I still tear up every time I hear it. And uh, every child at the mansion has a story that we could tell just like that. But thank God for his redemptive power and the healing that is taking place. Amen. It's exciting to see what God is doing. That's what makes the mansion different than so unique. There are other group homes, children's ministries around the world, but Tupelo Children's Mansion is the only apostolic children's home in North America. You think about that. And we are apostolic, unashamedly apostolic. And these kids come to us, most of them knowing nothing about God. They're not church kids, most of them. And it's not long until they give their hearts to the Lord and receive the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, since February, we've had 20, almost 30 children, 30 children received the Holy Ghost since February. Irma and I, we've been at the mansion almost 18, 19 years, and uh, we've never seen such an incredible move of God happening in our services, in our chapel. We, uh, it, it's, it's not uncommon to see teenage, teenage children slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, not too long ago, I, I remember seeing a, a girl being shouldered out of the service, drunk in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Is that okay? Huh? Yeah. I mean, we have a, a, an incredible group of professional people that work with us, people with master's degrees. We have therapists, counselors, 
incredible house parents, school teachers. God has blessed us with a great team. And, uh, and, and, and there's a place for counseling and therapy. Absolutely. But there's nothing like the work of the Holy Ghost to transform a life. Amen? Amen. And that, that's what makes the mansion so very special. So thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. And thank you for helping us with this tremendous work. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I know you have a service tonight. And uh, so I want to be mindful, of course, of the time. And uh, would it be okay if I preach just a little while, a few minutes? Amen. I'll watch my watch so you don't have to watch yours. How about that? I, I make you a promise. I'll, uh, I'll try to uh, get through before you do. Okay. And, uh, but uh, I, I feel something to share with you this morning. And my scripture text, I want to begin in John chapter 10 and verse 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Brother and Sister Hughes, it's such a delight to be with you. God bless you folks. Faithful, outstanding leadership. Aren't you glad to have them as your pastor and wife? Amen. Amen. We love the Hughes and appreciate them so very much. John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And... uh, I know you've been standing a while. Your pastor warned me about that. Y'all, y'all are a standing church. That's that's why you, that's why you're a growing revival church. You stand a lot. I mean, you're and and right now you're like on the tip of your toes, just expecting God to do something awesome in this place. And uh, but we're used to standing at home. Our, I mean, I'll tell the kids and the staff and the children and everybody to sit down, and they're back on their feet within thirty seconds. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30, little uh, Old Testament history story that, that I, I may reference as I close this message. Uh, verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away. And went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, gave him bread, he did eat, and they made him drink water, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, two clusters of raisins, When he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to the Amalekite, and my master left me, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt not neither kill me nor deliver me 
into the hands of thy master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. David smote them from the twilight, even unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. Verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all for a few moments. I want to preach to you about taking it all back. Clap your hands as you're seated. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house today. Man, I love this church, this church. Wow. I love what I feel here right now. If if I lived anywhere around here, I, I know there's other, I better be careful. This might be recorded. I don't know. But right now I'm feeling if I lived anywhere within anywhere, this is where I'd want to go to church right here. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I... I'd probably drive quite a few miles to, you know, Houston. It's nothing to drive clear across town. We drove clear over to Westheimer last night to eat and walk through that crazy mall. You know what I'm talking about? I had to find an Apple store. I needed, I needed, some, I needed a little something at the Apple store. And I'm thinking, you know what? We'll drive clear across East Chahunga to eat at our favorite restaurant. So in a place like this, you, you, I, I'm not even going to go there, but I imagine some of you drove 30, 45 minutes to get here. Raise your hand if you drove 30, 45 minutes. If you drove an hour to get here, raise your hand. Oh, give, them a, give the hour people a hand. Yeah. That's right. Praise God. Amen. I have a profound dislike for thieves. Most of the time, things that are stolen from us can be replaced. And a year later, you won't even remember that it happened. But in the spiritual realm, there is a kind of stealing that is going on in many lives that is much more serious. Satan, our enemy, is in the business of ripping off things far more important than our cash or our belongings, or any of our stuff. This is what the devil does. It's his nature. As Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. He comes to steal. Thievery is motivated by envy to a a great extent. And here's the bottom line. The devil wants what we have. He doesn't want car parts and he doesn't want your house. The devil doesn't even live in a house. He doesn't need your vehicle for he has other modes of transportation. He has no interest in your clothes because he is a spirit being. He doesn't care about your investments. That would... Uh, what, What would money mean to him? But Satan is very interested in stealing our spiritual treasures. Things that have value with God. Things that have eternal significance. Take, for example, our very purpose for living. The devil loves to to snatch men and women, people who have such great potential and and turn them into glassy-eyed wanderers through life with no understanding of their purpose in life. They, They lie in bed at night staring at the ceiling, saying, what's the point? Just to make money? Just to have kids? Why? Why? Why am I here? Why? Uh, you, you know why people turn to drugs and alcohol? Because they don't have a clue as to why they're alive. Others turn to career, achievement, 
or pleasure or materialism, something, just anything to fill that void. But we all know that it doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill. God created us to worship and enjoy Him forever. But this awareness can be stolen from our consciousness. Notice the progression again in John 10 and 10. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's first move is is petty larceny. Then once he manages that, he can move on to actual killing and, and from there to mass destruction. Steal, kill, and destroy. But it all starts with stealing. That's where it begins. There are so many things that the devil wants to take from us. What about that first love? Can I preach for just a few moments? What about that first love that that we one time had for the Lord? Even among those who are believers, the devil has a strategy of theft. And so there's an important question to ask ourselves this morning. Has there ever been a time in my life when I loved Jesus more than I do today? Was there ever a time when my appetite for God's Word was, was huge and, and, and the Bible doesn't really, it's not that, it doesn't hold the same significance in my life that, that it used to? Or, or, or my, love, my love for God's house, I'm not as enthusiastic and excited about going to church as I used to be. Or, or that eagerness for spreading the gospel and witnessing to others. There was a time when I was more, more excited about winning souls than I am today, but, but now... Is this okay this morning? But, but now, how is it today? Yes, we, we still love the Lord. We still come to church. But what's happened to all of that energy and that passion? This was the problem that Jesus addressed with the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. He said, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance, yet, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So do you love God this morning with the same passion and fervor that you used to love God? If you don't, it's most probably true that the devil has stolen it from us. From us. A young Christian was studying art in a non-Christian country many years ago. And, and this young aspiring artist was painting a picture of the Lord's Supper. You can imagine it. We've all seen that picture. of All the disciples lined up on the same side of the table. And Jesus is in the middle and and the instructor stepped into the studio and observed the work of the young artist. He studied that painting, and after a long and reflective pause, he made this statement. He said, that man in the center of the table, who, who is that? And the artist said, well, well that's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus Christ. And, and those are his disciples sitting around him. And 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 the instructor said, well, have you met him before? Oh, absolutely, the young artist said. That's my Lord. That's my Savior. He died for my sins. And there was this pause. And the instructor said, you don't love him, do you? And the artist said, why, why do you ask such a question? Of course I love him. And, and another pause. And the instructor looked at the young aspiring artist and he said, I just feel like that if you loved him more, you could paint him better. You could paint him better. You know, if our love for the Lord is cold, it doesn't really matter how faithful we serve him or how correct our doctrinal beliefs are. You know, if you miss first base, it doesn't matter how far you hit the ball nor how many other bases you touch. If you miss first base, you're out. You know what I want is I want to fall in love with Jesus again. If I love him more, I know I can serve him better. If I love him more, I know I can give more. If I love him more, I know I can. Hallelujah. I want to be a part of the church that, that God gave his all for. Uh, if I loved him more, I could worship him more. Praise God.
praise God. The, the church at Ephesus was commended like perhaps no other church. They were serving. They were doing. They, I'm preaching to a church like that this morning. Toiling, giving, going, building. What an awesome edifice you're building. You've gone through the storms and you've had setbacks and, and God is in this house. And what an incredible move of the Holy Ghost we're having here today. Jesus said, I know all of your toil and perseverance. And that Greek word for toil means that they were working to the point of exhaustion. I'm not even going to ask how many of you are tired this morning. Uh, I know you're tired. You're exhausted. You even wondered, maybe this would be a Sunday I could skip church. That was probably an okay thought. But, but this was a church, this Ephesus church, that was strong doctrinally. They would not tolerate false teachings. They were strict. They were sound. They were steadfast. They were strong. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Their motives were right. They ministered for Christ's name's sake, not for their own. They, they served for his glory, not their own glory. What could possibly be wrong with a church like this? What was the flaw? But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Their love for the Lord had chilled. Their first love was gone. The fervent, passionate, red-hot fire that once existed in their relationship was no longer there. Their ministry had become mechanical. I'm not preaching about you all this morning. I'm just, I'm just ministering in the Holy Ghost, and there may be somebody that can, that can feel something or receive something. I want to say this, this praise team this morning sang with anointing the power of God. They blessed me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I'm not wanting to be negative. I'm just challenging us this morning. I want to love Jesus like I've never loved him before. I want to serve him with more passion than I've ever had before. I want to be on fire for God, red hot like I've never been before. Oh, They were still coming to church. They were still serving they were still believing the right message, but their hearts weren't in it anymore. They had full heads, busy feet, but empty hearts. So where does this first love go? Does our zeal and intensity just evaporate? No, of course not. I'm submitting to you this morning that Satan steals that hot ember of devotion. And consecration. To put it in another way, we simply get ripped off. I know we're not supposed to blame everything on the devil, but I'm 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 giving the devil credit for stealing my passion and my love for God. That's his business. That's his business. If, if he can somehow cause us to become lethargic, lethargic and lukewarm and, and and complacent and 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 not ex, ex, exhilarating. And, and excited about the things of God, then he has achieved his mission. You might say, well, you have to understand that when I first came to the Lord, I, I was an energetic young person, but lots happened since then. You know, I'm getting older. And we just kind of mellow out with time. Does anybody really believe that? <laughs> The Bible says God's plan for us is that we be transformed into his likeness, 2 Corinthians 3.18, with ever, say ever, increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. There is no end to the power that he wants to demonstrate in our lives. Amen. Amen. The Bible has no retirement plan. Sorry, folks, I'm 66. God's intention is that we stay on fire for him. I, I remember when we used to sing that song, Lord, set me afire, make me a flame. Anybody remember that old song? Yeah, some of you old folks, you just dated yourself. 
what we need today is a revival, a rekindling of that red-hot flame, that burning zealousness. Amen, amen, amen. There are other things that I could speak of this morning, and I won't, I won't linger, but a faded calling. Perhaps uh, someone here this morning that I'm preaching to had, had a unique calling, and all of us are called of God giftings that are put within us, serving in the name of the Lord. Perhaps years ago there was a stirring inside of you. The Lord gave you a dream about what he wanted you to do with your life. Maybe he wanted you to teach children. Maybe he wanted you to sing. Maybe he wanted you to be a prayer warrior. Maybe there was even a pull toward the mission field that was birthed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe God talked to you about coming to the mansion to be, oh, I better talk to the pastor first about that. I'm sorry. But then you got discouraged. Somebody let you down. Something went sour. You you tried once or twice, but somebody criticized you. And soon that dream was gone, and the calling wasn't so real. And all that inspiration that you felt is missing. Where did it go? What happened? Most probably something very precious was stolen from you along the way. And the thief that did it was Satan. Amen. The devil is trying his best right now to rob you of something that God has blessed you with. He loves to take away from us the gifts that God has given to us. I could preach about other things. I could preach about our homes, our marriages. How many know the devil wants to destroy your family and your marriage? Making an all-out assault upon our families. Our children, our grandchildren, once upon a time, they were dedicated to God at a sacred altar. We stood before our pastor, said with all sincerity, Lord, this baby belongs to you. But something maybe has happened in the years since then. And now that young man or that young woman is not living for God. And and, and we need to just trust the Lord to, to bring that prodigal back into the fold. Lift your hands and praise the Lord with me right now. Amen. The devil wants to take your faith, wants to steal your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nothing else counts if faith is missing. That's the foundation for Christian living. Praise God. Praise God. I I meet people who at one time would pray for anything. They would pray for everything, even if they lost their glasses. They would they would stop what they were doing and they would they would pray, God help me find my glasses. And amazingly, those glasses would show up. Anybody ever had something like that happen for you? I got to tell this story. I I was like eleven years old, and uh, I was spending the summer on a farm in Idaho. We lived in the Northwest. And uh, some of you may be aware that my mom and dad were involved in missions, gave their life to missions, and served in missions. And, and uh, they were they were traveling all over Latin America. I was 11 years old and staying with some friends in Donnelly, Idaho, my sister and I. We spent a month there, maybe six weeks. And we'd go trout fishing every day, me and my uh, uh, friend that was uh, the family there, a couple, three years older than me, the Cantola Farm. And uh, we were trout fishing around this small little lake. And I I remember, I mean, it's been a long time ago, but I can still see, I can envision that scene, tall grass. And uh, we're just trudging along the shore of this lake, and we're trout fishing, and we're having a great time. And and, uh, I had, uh, Mom and Dad had given us an allowance, money that we could spend. And and, uh, I I took $4.95. I remember how much it cost, $4.95, and bought a, new pocket knife and back then that was pretty expensive four dollars and ninety and my older sister chided me for it she she made me feel she said when dad finds out what you spent that money on you're gonna be in trouble but i i was man i was fishing i needed a knife and cut the line and and uh clean the fish and man i was proud of that knife and and uh we're fishing away and and uh i reached in my pocket and my knife was missing could not find, I'm thinking, oh, I'm grieving. I'm, I'm in serious trouble now. Not only did I foolishly spend that $4.95, but now I've lost the knife. And uh, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I told my buddy about it. And we looked and we looked and, and careful not to, not to tramp down the grass, you know, trying to be careful that we don't cover up 
uh, where it might be laying. And, and uh, my buddy had the Holy Ghost, and I didn't at that point. And he was more spiritual than I was. He said, well, let's pray about it. Let's pray and ask. I said, okay, sure. I mean, can't say that I just released a lot of faith right there. You know? How many know that God can do some awesome things even with a little bit of faith? You don't have to have a, a lot of faith. I could preach a whole, I could preach about that too. That's right. And, uh, and, and uh, so we prayed and, and I bowed my head and, and, and I'm praying and, and he's praying, probably speaking in tongues, interceding. And, and we all, I, this is, I promise you, hands on this Bible. And we had walked all over that area. I opened my eyes and the knife was between my legs. On the ground. I said, you put that. He said, I did not. I said, you tricked me. He said, I didn't. He said, God answered our prayer. Now, I'm talking about this was a, we had walked all around searching for that knife, trampling down grass, and that knife was at my, at. Now, I'm not sure how that happened, but I, I do believe God has the power to, to put that knife right there between my feet. That was just a, a child praying with simple faith. Oh, may, you know what? We need to become like little children again to believe God, to do the supernatural, to do the impossible. Somebody in the house needs a miracle this morning. You need a miracle. You don't have to have huge gargantuan faith. Ah, hallelujah. Ah. Could be seated. One man in the Bible in the life of Christ got a miracle simply because he said, Lord, if you can, if you can, no, I'm not real positive, but if you can, and God gave him a miracle. You know what a miracle is? I got to quit. A miracle is something so difficult. This is deep. You, you, you have to go to Bible college to learn this kind of theology. A miracle is something so difficult that only God can do it. Now, let's be honest. How many need a miracle in the house this morning? Something so difficult going on in your life that you're what you only God. You, you, you only, this is, this is a God thing. Praise God. Praise God. Faith. Devil wants to steal our faith. Amen. Amen. Oh, I got to move on. There is this obscure story at the end of 1 Samuel that speaks to this matter in vivid detail. I'm going to close my Bible to give you hope. Praise the Lord. And in a few moments, I'm going to, not yet, I'm going to ask the musicians to come and that will give you even more hope. You know, when a preacher says in closing, and then he keeps preaching for 30 minutes, he's actually being apostolic. Do you realize three times in one chapter, the apostle Paul said, and now finally, my brethren, three times. <laughs> but we read the text. We got our Bible reading in for today. But if you've ever had something precious stolen or if you've lost something very special to you, you know a little bit about how much how, how David must have felt to lose everything that was dear to his heart. Everything that he owned was taken from him. This didn't happen because he deserved it. It didn't happen because he had done something wrong, but because a ruthless enemy attacked his house, his home, while he and his men were on the battlefield, while they were being faithful, while they were doing their duty. It's one of the low points on the roller coaster of David's life. The young conqueror of the giant Goliath is now on the run from King Saul. So many threats, so many close calls. He actually goes to live among the Philistines for a year running out of places to hide in Israel. 
David's militia of 600 men plus wives and children set up at a place called Ziklag. When the Philistines decide to go to war against Israel, it puts David in a real crunch. He's a fighter, a warrior, and so he lines up with King Achish. But the Philistine generals spot him and protest to their king that there's no way that David is going with them to battle. Achish tries to defend David's loyalty but doesn't get anywhere. The general says, look, don't you know that song they sang over in Israel? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, and some of those thousands were us. There's no way David's going to go to battle with us. So David and his militia get sent back home. And when they are getting close to Ziklag, they start to see smoke coming up on the horizon and soon discover that something terrible has happened. Every wife, every son, every daughter, every cow, every lamb is gone. Someone has made a secret raid, burned down the city, and stolen everything. Don't you know that these husbands and fathers are stunned? by the desolation. They're heartbroken. Imagine them thinking of their wives and their daughters being captured by these bandits and thugs. They can only imagine the unrestrained brutality and heartlessness that most probably is taking place. They begin to cry so hard that they run out of tears. They're devastated. David's family is gone. Everything is lost. You know, at, at such a moment of human sorrow, other emotions can come into play. David's men were blinded by grief and disappointment. Anger and resentment began to boil up, and their first reaction is to talk of stoning David. You know, when people cannot deal with the agony of the moment, they often turn on others, especially those in authority or anyone that they can blame. They can't bear the pain, so they lash out. David's men turned against their leader and blamed him for their plight. What, what are we doing out, out there? What, what, what were we doing there anyway? Who, wh why were we there? Why weren't we taking care of our families? And they even talk of stoning David. And I just want to insert this one little thing, and it, it's not that relevant to the message, but, but we need to remember that we are not wrestling, ladies and gentlemen, against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One, transla one translation says, but against evil demonic spirits, parentheses, persons without bodies. And we are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we'd better recognize and identify who the real enemy is. Amen? The devil is real. Amen. So then comes this wonderful phrase in 1 Samuel 30 and 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. The Living Bible, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. You know, it's a mistake to try to encourage yourself by yourself. Positive little pep talks in the mirror don't always help. Sometimes we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. So as the bottom was falling out of his world, David went to a quiet place and began to pray and gather himself before God. I want you to know this morning as I hasten, no matter how low you get, no matter what collapses around you, no matter who rejects you or slanders you, God is able to encourage you. God will help you get through whatever you are facing this morning. He will strengthen you deep within your heart and spirit in a place nobody else can reach. So David gathers himself together, his spiritual equilibrium, and goes to the priest for consultation with God about what he should do. He, notice he didn't just shoot from the hip. He first sought the Lord. He first went to God. Amen. He inquired of the Lord. Listen, if you have a problem you can't handle, learn to take it to the Lord. As the song says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why don't you take it to the Lord this morning? 
Why don't you give it to God this morning? Don't throw in the towel and quit. Don't give up. Turn to the Lord. Give it to God. It's like the little boy who who misbehaved in church and was in serious trouble for it. And they're on their way home, and he knows he's probably going to get a spanking. He said, Daddy, if you won't spank me, I promise I'll never go to church again. Sometimes we're like that little boy. Rather than fixing the problem, it's just easier to give up and quit. Just won't go to church at all. We need to learn to go to God. So David inquires, amen. Should I go after those who have ravaged and plundered our town? Will I find them? The Lord says, yes, go after them. You will find them. And the Bible says they pursued the enemy. They went after them. And along the way, riding across the desert, they come upon this half-conscious Egyptian slave, revive him with some food and water. The man admits some vital information. And uh, David begins to negotiate with him, offers him a plea deal. How would you like to live and not die? Would you, would, you, would you like to help us find the enemy? And the Egyptian doesn't have to think very long about that one and agrees to guide David and his army in pursuit of the enemy. And before long, they come over, over the brow of that ridge to see the Amalekites below having this big, victorious celebration, intoxicated on their success, enjoying their plunder. But in the name of the Lord, David leads his men down that hill against them. And for a full 24 hours, all night and all the next day, they fought against the Amalekites and won a great victory. Praise God. They took it all back. They took it all back. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. You need to take it back. What the devil has taken from you, you need to take it back. You need to lay claim to it again. You need to go after it. Enough already. Somebody shout, enough already. Devil, you've had your way long enough. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to get my joy back. The joy that the musicians come. The joy that the devil's taken out of my worship. I'm going to get my joy back. Do you know you can have the Holy Ghost and not have joy? You need the joy of the Holy Ghost restored into your life. We need a renewal of joy. I'm not just talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. You can all stand. That'll help me quit. Amen. I won't keep you standing, but just a moment. Amen. Happiness depends upon happenings, things that happen. Joy comes only from God. The world can't manufacture it. The world can't create it. It's God's joy that comes with the Holy Ghost. But you got to keep the joy flowing. You need to take it all back. You need to take it all back. Amen. And David discovered that every wife, every son, every daughter was still alive. And they took it all back. And they're shouting, look what God gave to us. And they came back with more than they lost. Isn't that just like God? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would even ask or think. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. That moment must come for you and I when we ask ourselves this question. Am I just going to keep sitting here feeling bad for myself? Absolutely not. In the name of the Lord, my daughter, my son, my grandchild is going to be reclaimed. How many have a loved one that needs God this morning? We're going to take them back. We're going to reclaim them. Satan, you're going to give me back my property. I come against you. I resist you. We need to make that kind of declaration about the things that the devil has stolen from us and claim just like we declared what we did before we received that offering and gave in that offering. How many, Lord, know God wants to bless us. He wants to restore to us. He wants to give back to us the things that the enemy has taken from us. Oh, lift your hands and rejoice. I come against you. I resist you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Somebody needs to step up and fight for stolen property with the weapons of faith and prayer. Devil, enough already. Enough already. I'm going to be like David. I'm going to go after the stolen goods. Ah, hallelujah. Your marriage can be revived. Fire can come back into your soul. Spiritual fulfillment can bloom once again and blossom in your life. You can recover the faith that the devil stole from you. Nothing is impossible with God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God's plan of restoration is interesting. Exodus 22 and 1, my last verse, and this is it. If a man steals an oxen or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So under the law, this is what God required of a thief. Will God require anything less of the devil? We're going to get it back plus retribution. You can't imagine what's going to come back to you. Not only what you lost, but an abundance. I have come that you might have life and that you will have it more. Somebody shout more. More abundantly. Oh, hallelujah. You know what the cross is? You know what the cross is? It's a minus turned into a plus. That's what Calvary did for us. That's God's business. I've come that you might have life more abundantly. Anybody excited about what God's doing for you right now? Faith being restored, family coming back together, marriage receiving healing, children coming back home, joy being restored. Ah, joy. Joy, 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 joy. We need some joy in the house.